are starting a series on the spiritual disciplines called Practice Not Perfect, okay? Now, the spiritual disciplines tragically has, has been neglected in the Protestant tradition. And because, I think the reason for it is that we see it as a form of work. It's something that we must do to earn salvation. And maybe that's why we've uh, discarded it. Uh, but it's to our own peril. So what we want to do over the course of the next uh, few weeks, we're going to look at some of these fundamental spiritual disciplines and how it helps us in following Jesus. And the practice, that the spiritual discipline that we're going to start off with today is the, 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 the spiritual discipline of Sabbath, keeping, keeping the Sabbath. And uh, I'm going to read from, from Mark, Mark chapter 2, and uh, from verse 23 till, till Mark chapter 3, verse 6. Okay. So, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Abiatar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to take it? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched out his hand, and it was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, when, when I at least hear a story like this, my knee-jerk reaction is, ah, oh, these stupid Pharisees. You know, they are almost pantomime villains, aren't they? When we, when we read the Bible, the Pharisees, they, they don't get it. They are the bad guys. And... And, and we seem to think that if we were in a similar position, we would not have gotten it wrong like that, all right? So that's, that's at least how I relate to it. The Pharisees are constantly missing the point. But I think as moderns, we miss the point as well. Because when Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, I think the last bit is something a first century Jew needed to hear. Man was not made for the Sabbath, they tried their best to observe the Sabbath in, in many ways, and they were almost terrified of breaking that law because, I mean, they said that you, you must be careful when you walk that you do not make a dent in the, in the ground because that, that would be plowing on the Sabbath. So you would be doing agricultural work on the Sabbath. Uh, you were only allowed to walk a quarter mile on the Sabbath. There were tons of, of laws that, that they introduced into, uh, into the Mishnah, which was in addition to God just saying, 
to observe the Sabbath. They gave various ways in which you can observe the Sabbath. And it became very legalistic and very, and very restrictive. But as moderns, we need to listen to the first part of Jesus' command or his statement, which is, Sabbath was made for man. We don't see it as a gift either. In the same way that I think first century Jews didn't relate to it as a gift, I don't think we relate to it as a gift. They, they saw it sort of as a test, and if we can observe the Sabbath, then God will owe us something, right? That's sort of the, the language that we get from, from them. We, we need to control God, we need to observe the Sabbath, and then He will bless us. But we see it as a burden, we see it as, as something that is, that is very uh, legalistic. But Jesus was not repealing the Sabbath. He was saying that the Sabbath is, is a gift. I think of all the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is probably our favorite to, to not obey. You know, most of us would say adultery is a bad idea, you know. Um, most of us observe not committing adultery. Most of us observe not killing somebody. And that's good. I want to commend you for that. But, but few of us observe the, the Sabbath. I know, I know I don't. And there's a massive theological significance in the Sabbath. And that's something that we need to recover if we want to understand this, uh, this practice. So, what is it? Most of Jesus' healings happened on the Sabbath. Why? I often think it's because he loved annoying the Pharisees, and I think that's partly true, but that's just a perk, okay? I think the reason why Jesus constantly healed on the Sabbath is because a Sabbath is a day of restoration. So when we think of Sabbath, we think of the word rest, right? So the word that is used in this story is his hand was restored. It's restoration. So the way that we need to relate to the Sabbath, theologically, spiritually, is to say this is a day of restoration. Another aspect of the, of the Shabbat, of the Sabbath, is that it is an act of, of trust. When we... When we go into Sabbath, we are relinquishing the control that we think we have. That is what happens when we, when we do it. Now, if we want to understand how, how observing Sabbath is an act of trust, we need to understand something of a Hebrew understanding of, of time. So in, the, in Genesis, we read it was evening, it was morning the first day. You guys remember, remember that? It was evening, it was morning the second day. If you go to Israel today, it's quite bizarre, but if you drive into Israel, fly into it, it's easier. If you fly into Israel and you get there on a Saturday, you would think the rapture happened and you, you were left behind. There is nothing. As a matter of fact, I think if, if you guys are interested in making sort of an apocalyptic movie, a zombie movie, just go to Israel on Shabbat. There is nothing happening. Not a store is open. You can, you can walk around. There's, there's literally nothing um, happening. And what's interesting is that it starts Friday evening. Friday evening, everything closes. So it doesn't start 
Saturday morning, which is their the, the, the Sabbath, it starts Friday evening. Now, what's the significance of that? So it goes from Friday evening to Saturday evening. And you know what's weird? Saturday evening, when, when the sun sets, everything opens up, and it's, it's almost a bit of a party on the street again. And it's, but it's, it's quite bizarre. But why does Shabbat, why does Sabbath start on the Friday evening? Because in the Hebrew understanding of time, the day starts not by us being productive, but by us resting. Does that make sense? It, it, what is our conception of time? When did the day begin? The day begins when, when we wake up, right? 11 a.m. or so. The, 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 day, the day begins in the morning. So we say, oh, it's a beautiful day. Lord, thank you for a new day. No, no, no. The Hebrew understanding is, Lord, as I go into this new day, may I rest in peace. What's the theological significance of that? I close my eyes, I sleep, and it's just an act of trust. I'm not being very productive with my day. If I say, okay, it's a new day, guys. Um, what are you going to do? I'm going to take an eight-hour nap. You know? does, does that sound like somebody who's being very productive with his day? No, that, that sounds kind of cool. No, you need to, I need to get on with my day. But for a Hebrew, for, 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 uh, for, for, with a Hebrew understanding of time, how I start my day is by closing my eyes. And, and one thing that I've noticed about, about babies closing their eyes, I had a bit of a bad experience last night in the sense that, that the baby didn't want to close his eyes. But he, he, he doesn't want to close his eyes, I think. I mean, he hasn't said as much. But I think it is because mommy and daddy disappears when he closes his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, he can see, he can see everything. He, he has a, an illusion of control of the situation. Okay, I can see, you know, I'm safe. I'm safe when I open my eyes. And when he closes, oh, everybody's gone. And then he opens his eyes. And I can say, dude, you're so tired. Just close your eyes. He doesn't want to close his eyes because he wants to hold on to this little bit of control that he has. So when you sleep, you are relinquishing control, and it is actually an act of trust. Does that make sense? So, again, think of this theologically. We start our day by closing our eyes and saying, you know what, I don't have control of my day. I don't have that much control of my life. I hope I wake up on the other side, Lord, and I'm going to rest. I'm going to start my day through, through rest. Let's think of it as adults. I don't want to sleep. Why? Because I need to provide for my family. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't... Don't start with that. I will provide for you. Start with rest. Or, oh, I'm going to fall behind at work and it's very competitive. Start with rest. You think you're in control of your job. You think you're in control of your family. You think you're in control of your life. You're not. Start with rest. Does that make sense? So to observe the Sabbath is to start from a place of, 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 of rest. Something else that is very important is this. You do not earn the rest. So think of how we relate to the weekend. I work hard, and I am rewarded with rest, right? But no, no, no. The week starts on, if you're a Christian, it starts on a Sunday. If you're a Jew, it starts on a Saturday. So in other words, you start by resting. Oh, now I've got a busy week ahead of me. What are you going to do? Nothing. <laughs> For a day, I'm going to do nothing. What do you do 
when you do nothing. Theologically speaking, you are acting out your dependency on God. You are saying, I am not in as much control. The, the little bit of control that I have is actually an illusion. As an act of faith, I am going to do nothing today. Does that make sense? Now, now by the way, in the Q&A, we must talk about what does nothing mean, all right? Because that is, that is important. But I, I just want you guys to understand the, the theological implications of this. What else? Sabbath is an act of resistance. It's an act of trust, but it's also an act of, of resistance. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 15, God says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and I liberated you from Egypt, therefore observe the Sabbath. How, what does that have to do? It, it seems like a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. Remember, I saved you from Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. I saved you, therefore observe the Sabbath. What's the connection? Slaves do not have a day off. A slave is a slave. They work all the time, right? So what the first thing that this people of God needs to do that's been liberated is they need to act like liberated people. They should, they should stop acting like slaves, and you should rest. So God is hammering it into them. You're not slaves. Rest. Hey, hey, rest. <laughs> you're not slaves anymore. I want you to act like you're not slaves anymore. What does that mean for us? Many of us, we, we find our identity in it, especially, especially white, white people. The busier we are, the, the more valuable we feel, right? I mean, our identity is so rooted in work. Uh, if, you, if you think of English surnames like Fisher or Carrier or Butcher, what do you think it refers to? refers to the occupation of your ancestors at one point. My, uh, my name is Mark Butcher. Oh, you're the son of a butcher. Yeah. I mean, you're literally named after, after what you do, right? Um, what are you? No, I'm, I'm Richard Carrier. Okay, so, so you were a courier of sorts or Carter or, or whatever. We are named after this, this occupation. This is my identity. But be careful because at one point, yes, you can have a job. But I think for a lot of us, black and white, we live in a, in, 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 in a capitalist society, at least sort of globally, and it's competitive. Most, more often than not, the job does us. We don't do the job. We don't have a job. The job has us. But by taking a day off, you are saying, I'm not a slave. Now, it seems stupid, you know, if you work in Santon or whatever to say, I'm not a slave. But do you see, by stopping completely with everything that you're doing, you're not being productive in your work life. You are making a very strong theological statement. Does that make sense? Are you guys still with me? Okay. Here's the irony, friends. As Christians, I think we've often read the life of Jesus and how he operated on the Sabbath as us not having to take the Sabbath seriously. But our Jewish brothers and sisters, they've always taken the Sabbath seriously. 
And I'm not saying that I think the Jews are, uh, today are these special people chosen by God, and that's why they've got superpowers, and uh, everybody must leave Israel alone, so if they kill Palestinians, we're not allowed to say anything. I'm, I'm not there. I'm not a Zionist by any stretch of the imagination. But one thing that I do know is that if you go to Israel, you're not going to do anything on Sabbath. You're not going to find anything open. Businesses are closed. Nothing. All right? And another thing that I notice is that the Jewish population is below 1% of the global population. And another statistic that I find startling is that they've got more than 20% of all the Nobel Prize winners are Jewish. They, they, I don't think you can accuse them of being unproductive, right? But they take Shabbat. Here's the irony. It makes you more productive, <laughs> If you rest, and you rest well, and you rest intentionally, and you rest, I want to say, theologically. It's not just something of, I'm going to take the day off. No, 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 it's, it's far more than that. And again, in the Q&A, we need to press that. But I think we can take a lesson from the Jews. You cannot accuse them of not being productive, but they take off. Maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but I think it is, it is related I know that a lot of parents are always paranoid that their kids are falling behind. And therefore, when they, when they train them, when, <laughs> train them, uh, when, they, uh, when they want to stimulate them, they're always trying to say, look, I need to send my, my child to that class. I need to buy baby professor app so that they can you know, do algebra um, after 12 months or you know, whatever the thing is, they need to do this and they need to do that and they need to do that. And you know what the latest research shows is that the best thing that you can do for your child is free play. So with all the toys that we are giving them, that's very specific, right? So uh, they need to build, I don't know, Hagrid's house or Hogwarts or, or something. They need to play with this toy because, and on all the toys... On the packaging, it says it develops motor neuron uh, thingy thingy. This, so, so we say, oh, this is going to make my kid smart. Definitely smarter than Harry's kid, and I'm in competition, so I need to I need to buy him this. And what they what what, what some of the the research tells us is that you are doing your child perhaps a disservice by doing that. You know why? Because it doesn't stimulate their imagination. The best thing that you can do for your child is leave them outside and tell them to go play, and then they pick up a piece of bark. And that piece of bark becomes, if it's a boy, probably a sword. If it's a girl, often a baby. And then that piece of bark then changes identity, and it becomes a house. And then you, 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 you fetch other pieces of nature, and you build something. Apparently, free play, not being productive just playing freely, does more for their development than all of these fancy baby professor nonsense. It's almost as if resting, free play, makes us more productive, not, not less. Okay. So I've said that the Sabbath is, is, is an act of trust. It's an act of resistance. Are you guys with me so far? Okay. Thirdly, the Sabbath points beyond itself. So we read here this one line, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
So what's, what's that about? Now, now, for that, I just need to go a little bit back into the biblical narrative. And it starts in Genesis. God creates. It was evening. It was morning the first day. It was evening. It was morning the second day. And eventually, God rests. But here's what we often mistakenly think. We think God was tired, right? I mean, six days, it's, it's hard work. So God rested on the, on the seventh day. That's, if, 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 if that's your view of God, then we need to talk. God, God doesn't need to rest. So God resting means something else. The seventh day in Hebrew language means, uh, and it almost sounds like God was speaking to us there for a, <clears throat> for a second. The, the seventh day, seven in, 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 in Hebrew imagination means complete. It means whole, right? So when God rests, he's saying it is whole. It is done. It is complete. It is perfect. So God resting is, is, is his, you know, when, when you think of shalom, you think of that presence, you think of harmony. That's how you should understand resting. You should not understand God as, oh, all right, I, I need to get Netflix on. You know, I, I, need to, I need to chill out. No, no, no. It's about this harmony. And that's why God says, and it is very good. Are you guys with me? That's, that's what resting means in the Hebrew imagination. It's wholeness. And then in the, in the next chapter, or in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, sin comes into this world, and that's, that rest is disrupted. And then all of a sudden, we read that through, through your toil, you will eat. You will not rest anymore. You, that, 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 that rest relationship, that wholeness has been broken. So what happens now? Jesus comes in and he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pay attention. Jesus, is, when, he, when he makes that statement, he is saying that he is restoring the Sabbath rest that we lost in Genesis 3. I'm sorry if this is a little bit abstract, so, so maybe I, I just have to repeat myself. We lose the, we lose the rest. We lose that, that harmony. We lose the shalom in Genesis 3. We, we, we lose the rest of God. Because if you think about it, um, we don't read in Genesis 3, it was the seventh day and God rested. On the eighth day, God started working again. You, know, you, you, don't, you don't read that. So this rest means something else. And we lose that rest. And all of a sudden, when, uh, w- when the Genesis author tells us what that means, he, he says, uh, we, we, we struggle, we fight. It's now a fight for survival all of a sudden. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? It means that he is the one restoring the rest that we lost in Genesis 3. But let's, let's press it a little bit more. We know that there's something wrong between us and God. We know that there's something broken in us and that we need to appease God one way or the other. So what do we do? 
we do all sorts of religious things. Maybe you came to church today because you thought, you know, maybe God is going to zap you, or maybe God is going to give you that promotion you wanted, or we, we read a little bit of Bible just to keep God appeased. Jesus says, no, 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 that is, that is not operating from a place of rest. Rather, how you should relate to God is to, is to know that Jesus has already brought this rest and you can live from that place. You do not have to live in a particular way and then earn that rest. So if that didn't make sense, let me illustrate it with a movie. Whom of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Um, just by raise of hands. Okay, one, two, maybe three, four, five, five, five. Okay. So Chariots, Chariots of Fire tells the story of Harold Abrams and Eric Little. And they were these two uh, Olympic athletes from, from England. And they competed in the hundred meter, uh, the hundred meter dash. Okay, and they were very competitive. Harold Abrams was a Jew. Eric Little was a very devout Christian. And Harold, Harold Abrams always wanted to prove himself. And at one point, he says to his girlfriend, "If I can win the, the next ten, if, if, if the next that ten seconds of my life when I when I run the hundred meter dash." will determine my existence. It will determine my purpose. And you can see that this guy is tormented by it the entire time. It, it's a fact, Aubrey. And he, he, is, he, he is desperate to win, and he, he basically tells his, his girlfriend, if I don't do that, my, 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 my life would have been a waste. The other guy, Eric Little, he... He runs and he talks to his, uh, to his sister and he says, you know, when I run, I just feel God smiling on me. He's enjoying it when I run. And then the 100 meter finals falls on a Sunday in the Olympics of, it's somewhere in the 1920s. It falls on a Sunday. And what does Eric Little do? He says, I'm not going to run on the Sunday. He's not, so he withdraws, he forfeits. Harold Abrams, he runs on the Sunday. He wins. Do you think he's happy? Do you think he's satisfied? He's not. His, his life, is, he still has something to prove. It's, it's, it's incomplete. He didn't beat Eric Little. He, um, he got the gold medal, but, but so what? He's still unsatisfied. Eric Little forfeited, and he's fine. It's actually, there's a nice little uh, story, you know, on the side, and that's a friend of his won the 400 meters hurdles, and then he withdrew from the 400 meters, and he told um, Eric Little, why don't you just go run the 400 meters, and then he won the gold in the 400 meters, all right? And uh, so, so, I mean, he, he got his gold as well. But you can accuse Eric Little as being legalistic, as being somebody who, who's so sh strenuous about the, uh, uh, the, the, the Sabbath and that God is going to smite him if he runs on the Sabbath. But that doesn't conform to his character. I'm not trying to tell you that um, if, if one of you guys are going to compete in the 100 meters of the Olympics soon, I, mean, I know some of you guys are, uh, are still dreaming of that, uh, and, it, and it happens on a Sunday that you're not allowed to do it. I don't think that's what this story tells us. I don't think that was Eric Little's heart when he, when he thought about it. But the one thing that I do know is that if you look at these two characters, Harold Abrams, that person is working. 
He is working the whole time. Eric Little is resting the whole time. If you look at the two characters, Little is smiling. He is just running and operating from a place of rest, operating from a place of acceptance. Harold Abrams needs to prove himself. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? When Jesus says he is Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying you need to stop this mindless search. You don't have to prove anything. I've already done the work for you. You can operate from a place of rest. You don't have to justify your existence. And I know this is a struggle for many of us. Whether it is, if, if my kids can achieve that, then, uh, then I will be a good mother. If I can do that in my career, then I will be fine. Jesus says, you're already fine. I'm already smiling on top of you, over you. What's, what's the word? I'm, I'm smiling down on you, whatever you want. You, you, you are, you've got so much, you are operating, you are starting from a place of grace. So now go live life. Do you guys see the difference? You're not going to earn the rest. You are operating from a place of rest. I'm going to pray for us, and then we can try and flesh out what it means to observe the Sabbath. Lord Jesus, we, we pray that we will understand something of, of what it means to observe the Sabbath. We pray, Lord, that we will be able to trust you, that what we, what we live out by, by observing the Sabbath is, is, is a, an act of trust. I pray, Lord, that you will etch it into our imaginations that when we, when we sleep at night, the day begins, and that we will be able to lie there in bed and before we go to sleep, realize that this is the beginning of the day and we want to start it by trusting you and by closing our eyes. I pray, Lord, that we will be able to resist the temptation to be slaves to something all the time. That we will observe the Sabbath, whether it's on a Sunday or on another day, that we will observe that rest as, as a way of, of, of showing ourselves and others that we are, not, we are no longer slaves. You have liberated us. But Lord, we can also just make something of this one day of rest and also miss the point. And therefore, Lord, we pray that we will understand that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. You are the one who restored the rest that we lost in, in Genesis 3. You are that true rest, and that's why we don't have to toil our way into being accepted by you. You've already accepted us, and we can live from that place of rest. And I pray, Lord, that all of us, when, whether we are studying, whether we are working, whatever it is we are doing, that we will try and remind ourselves that we're not doing this to achieve anything or to be rewarded for it, but we are doing it because you've already given us the biggest reward, and that is your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray, and it's in His name that we rest. Amen.